morning. My name is Craig and I am senior pastor here and it is our privilege to have you with us as we've gathered to worship on this Labor Day weekend. I thank you for being here. Um, it, uh, if, if you look around, you've got a little more room to spread out than you normally do today on this, uh, what, what really marks the very ending of summer this morning as we begin to move towards the fall. Uh, you can wear your white pants until the day is over. I guess that's still the, the, the rule, right? Uh, then after today, though, you've got to put those things up for six months. You can, uh, you can start wearing your college football gear, unless you're a Carolina fan, and we're just going to hang it back in the closet. We're going to skip straight to Thanksgiving, folks. We're just going to pretend like it didn't happen and move on forward. Except for the Tennessee fans, and we're sorry. If you have your Bible, we are going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 14. Uh, for those of you that saw me slip out, I apologize. I, I hope that I wasn't distracting, but I'm, I'm having all sorts of technology issues. But uh, the good news is, is that paper still works, and so we're thankful that we do still have that. As you're turning, let me give you a couple of announcements this morning. Equipping studies, there's a handout for equipping studies in your bulletin this morning. We also sent out an email specifically about that this week. Um, I would urge you uh, to sign up for an equipping study. And if you're trying to figure out which one you want to be a part of, there's a good opportunity to look in there. Uh, but the sign-ups for equipping studies, look, I'm going to point because sometimes I don't explain well. So if you go through these double doors and then you walk through the next set of doors and then you walk through the cased opening that once was a door, there in that hallway, which is only about 20 yards from that door, there is a ministry board on the left side. And on the, that board, if you would sign your name to one of those equipping studies, and those equipping studies are going to be seven or eight weeks. I, I said eight, but I believe I'm wrong. I think it's actually only seven. Kevin says it's eight. I think Kevin might be wrong too, but we'll fight it out tomorrow. Um, but uh, we, we've got equipping studies that, are, that will start next Sunday night, so they'll last that long. We've got some on, on the book of Judges. There's one. There's one for our students. Uh, we've got one on, on marriages. Uh, there's a few others, and I, I can't recall them all right now. But all that stuff's in your bulletin. Sign up for one. They're really good. And if you wonder what we can do with your kids, we do children's choir for our young kids on uh, Sunday nights. Why do we do children's choir? And I, sh I always feel like I should say this. We do children's choir because if we do children's choir right, and I believe that uh, Miss Danae, who leads that, does it right, our children don't just learn fun songs. Our children learn songs that carry them through their adult years as they learn songs of, of Scripture. They're going to learn music that teaches them the books of the Bible. They're going to learn songs that, that have deep theological roots, like, like Kevin said. Because, look, there's going to come a point in time at 25 years old, when life is going to be very confusing, and there's going to be a point in time when at 22, 23, 24, 25 years old, when the, the truth that our young people cling to is going to be a song that they learned at 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 years old. And those things are going to carry them. And so we want to take the opportunity to not just in, entertain our kids, but to teach them things that are going to carry them. So anyway, equipping studies on Sunday nights. Also coming up at the end of this month is our senior fair it is not Ferris wheels. I just want to put that out there. And I need to say that because Brooklyn wants to skip school every year to come to the senior fair because she thinks that it's like the state fair. It is not, uh, but it is a wonderful opportunity to impact uh, the senior adult community here, here right here in our, in our area. Uh, Pastor Buster and our other seniors work really diligently with that. So I would urge you, um, if you are of the senior age, to see Buster and 
find out what that's all about and how you can be involved. But listen, if you are not of that age group, there's a lot of ways that we could use you if you could give time on that Tuesday morning. So see Buster, it's, it's a good time. And one of the things I'm so grateful for with our, our seniors, and I say this all the time, not just Buster, but all of our senior adults, um, they see their senior adult ministry not as a big, a big fellowship group to have a dinner club and, and just, just have fun all the time. They want to engage in mission ministry, and so the gospel will be proclaimed on that day and opportunities will be presented. Okay, by now, hopefully you've made it to Mark chapter 14. You've spread out a little bit because you've got... And I want you to enjoy the room that you have beside you this morning because you won't have it next week. So I want you all to enjoy that. We're not going to lament that our crowd is down. We're going to celebrate the opportunity to move around a little bit this morning. We might even get a little crazy. We might raise a hand. We might even like answer back because we've got enough room to do that this morning. We're in the book of Mark for just this one last week. We're going to start next Sunday, six weeks looking at what a healthy church looks like. After that, we're going to spend four weeks in the book of Jonah. And believe it or not, by then, we're going to be at Thanksgiving and Christmas. So that's what's ahead of us right now. We'll jump back into Mark after the first of next year. Please stand with me in honor of God's Word as we consider the inestimable value of worship. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. God's Word says this, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Imagine how that must have felt for that woman. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would teach us to worship. That you would give us a heart, Lord God, to worship you. For Lord God, we know that we will worship something. May our vision be directed to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Christ's name, amen. To be human is to worship. We all worship something. In fact, it was the pagan worship from which the children of Israel were called that set them apart so distinctly. Unlike the peoples around them, the children of Israel didn't get their worth, their security, from idols made of wood or metal. They trusted in the word of the Lord. They were unique. They were different. All of the other peoples from whom they were called out of would have found their security and their hope in the small, usually small, not always, but usually small 
household gods. Generally, when we think of pagan worship, we think of large, fig- large figures that have been carved or have been shaped. But the reality is that for most folks, the gods, the idols that they worship were household gods. Any of you, have, 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 and the one that jumps out at me, any of you ever see Gladiator? I know it's an R-rated movie, just, just move forward. Anybody, do you remember in that, that pat, there's, a, there's a place in there where, where they pull out a little pouch, and in that pouch has the household gods, his small idols. The people from whom the Israelites were called would have certainly occasionally worshipped in a shrine where there were large idols, but for the most part, they worshipped idols that they could carry around in their pockets. And from those idols carved of wood or of stone or perhaps shaped from molten metal, those idols were the places where they found their strength and their security. If you've ever walked into the home of a Hindu family, you will still see in those homes often shrines filled with a number of small gods. Those are the gods to whom they pray and worship. Sometimes at a a, a Chinese restaurant, perhaps, you will even see a small Buddha. You should know this, by the way. If you see like a little small statue of Buddha in a Chinese restaurant, like at the cash register, and it's filled with coins, that's not the place for you to take a penny if you need to make change. I did that once without paying attention. And you all laugh, but you only laugh because you don't understand the offense that that was. Side note, don't leave a penny on the statue of Buddha either. We are, yes, we are a worshiping people. And we find something to worship. Now, it would seem that for the chief priests and the scribes in Jesus' day... They had begun to worship their own power, their own prestige, their own place of prominence. In fact, it was that worship of power and prestige and prominence that caused them to want to do away with Jesus. Now, one of the incredible things that jumps out from this passage, it was hard for me to only preach this as one sermon because there are two sermons right here, and I'm going to resist the temptation to preach them both to you today, but i got to point the other one out to you anyway. i got to give it to you so you can take it home and chew on it for a little while. In verses 1 and 2, we see the worship of the chief priests and the scribes directed toward themselves. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. They knew that Jesus was a threat. They knew they had to get rid of Jesus. But they also knew that they needed to get rid of Jesus privately, secretly, quietly. Folks, I want you to see the way that the sovereign power of God disappointed the plans of evil, wicked men because it was not possible for them to arrest and to execute Jesus privately. God made sure that Jesus was put on display as a public spectacle. It was necessary that Jesus die publicly so there could be no question about whether or not he actually died. Just like it was necessary that he be raised from the dead publicly so there could be no question about whether or not he was actually raised from the dead. 
The chief priests and scribes wouldn't worship Jesus. They were too busy worshiping their own prestige and their own power. And folks, that just goes as a great illustration to show us all that we will worship something. All of us worship something. As I prayed this morning, I I sort of misspoke in my prayer. I said, Lord God, teach us to worship. But the Lord doesn't have to teach us to worship because he has ingrained in us the desire to worship. We only need to be taught to worship rightly and to worship right things. We need our minds to be molded and transformed so that we can appreciate the good, the right, and the true in other words, we need to have our, if it were, if you will, tastes in worship changed and altered. We need to get to a place where we appreciate the right worship. So this morning I want to wrestle with the question of how do you worship the Lord? How, maybe we should say, how should you? Or how can you? Why is it important? I think there are three things we can take away. Now listen. I'm going to give you some encouragement, some hope this morning. This is pretty basic stuff. Any, probably any one of y'all could stand up and preach this sermon this morning. We're not going to dig into the Greek. We're not going to conjugate verbs. We're, we're going to look at the very basic structures of what it is to worship and why it's so important for you and for me. I appreciate what Kevin said, and we're going to even jump into some of that this morning. As far as what worship is. The first thing this morning is that we should worship the Lord privately. We should worship the Lord privately. Just a quick question. Do any of you believe that this was the first time that Mary worshipped the Lord? Now, I say Mary because if you were to turn to the, the, the parallel passage in the book of John related to this, John tells us that this all took place at a feast that was honoring Lazarus. And John says that Mary was the one who was there. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who worshipped and honored the Lord by pouring this over his his body. Now, Mark says this happened at the home of Simon the leper. Now, we know that Simon was no longer a leper. How do we know that? Because if he was, nobody would be in his house. He had been a leper at some point. We can only work with conjecture at this point, but many scholars believe that there's a strong possibility that Simon was a leper whom Jesus healed, and perhaps Simon was even the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so they had gathered in Simon's home, and in that place where they were honoring Lazarus, the Bible says that Mary showed up. Now, understand that Mary walked into a place where Mary would not normally have been welcome. A woman may have been welcome to serve, a woman may have been welcome to pass through, but a woman was not welcome at the table where the men were seated. And yet Mary felt a comfort level, a confidence in walking into the presence of all of these men where she was not allowed by social um, standards. And she walked in and she worshipped the Lord in a very lavish way. Why was that possible? I suggest to you this morning that it is possible because Mary had known Jesus prior to that moment. Now we know that Mary had at least on one other occasion encountered the Lord Jesus, right? That while Martha was busy working in the kitchen, Mary was at the feet of Jesus learning and listening 
It would appear, based on what we know, Jesus made his residence prior to, to Jerusalem and Bethany. This was a close relationship. We know that Jesus was brokenhearted at the death of Lazarus, even though he was going to call him forth from the tomb. We know that Jesus had a heart of concern and compassion for Martha, that Mary had a, had a, a heart of just lavish worship for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because she had worshipped the Lord privately. Folks, a private worship life is enriching and it will lead to more satisfying and glorifying public worship of the Lord. But we shouldn't just worship the Lord in private because it gives us an opportunity to worship Him better in public. We should worship the Lord in private because God is worthy of our worship at all times. At all times. There's never a point in time when we encounter the Lord that He doesn't deserve our worship. Worship the Lord. Folks, I want you to worship the Lord in your quiet times. I want you to worship the Lord, as Kevin said this morning, in those moments when you experience truths from God's Word that drive you to marvel and revel at the grandeur of the Lord. <coughs> but I want to urge you this morning to not only worship the Lord during your private, quiet times, which I hope that you have on a daily basis. I want to urge you to not limit yourself to that being the only time and the way you worship the Lord. Don't w limit yourself to only worshiping the Lord when you encounter praise music that makes you happy on the radio or you put in your favorite CD. Now, I'm not going to make a lot of friends this way, but I'm going to say it anyway. The idea of, <clears throat> I'm doing air quotes, worship music, if you doubt me, we could get Kevin up here to have a conversation about this. The idea of worship music is more of a commercial label than it is anything else. All right, We call it worship music just so that when you go into the store or on Apple iTunes, you can type in worship music and it'll bring up a certain kind. The idea of Christian music um, is not wrong, but listen, I want to tell you this morning, we shouldn't limit our understanding of worship to only the, uh, the things that other people send us. You understand? We shouldn't limit our worship to only the things that other people say is a, a, a thing that brings about our worship. Our worship should be both imminent and transcendent. Our private moments of worship, normally worship music has more of an imminent focus. I want to love Jesus. I want to walk on the waters with Jesus. I want to call upon the name of Jesus. All that is good and important. It is not wrong. So hear me say that. Everybody say, Craig didn't say Christian music was wrong. Say it out loud. Thank you. Nobody said it. I was at an event yesterday, and listen, when that pastor told people to say things, they said it. Y'all have got to work on your game. Maybe I need to work on mine. All those things are good, but, the, but, but God, the God who is right here is also big and transcendent. See, the question for us is not only... But my mic ain't on. There we go. All right. The question is not, can I worship the Lord only when my, my favorite worship song comes on the radio or I put in that CD? But can I worship the Lord privately in all the other things of life? Folks, does a, does a beautiful sunset 
strike you as wonderful, awe-inspiring, and worthy of worship. We are on. I can't hear myself, but y'all can hear me. We're good. Does a beautiful sunset do that to you? Do you look at a mountaintop? I, I recall as a young man uh, hiking Table Rock as, as a, a teenager with, with my church. And there was a, this is so good for those of you that have eclipsed the, the, like the 40s in your life. Uh, there, was a, there was a man who was with us. I was probably 16 years old, 15 years old. And there was a man who was with us that was probably in his 60s at the time. And y'all, he wore us out. You know, I mean, he hiked that, uh, that little mountain like it was nobody's business. We were just in absolute amazement at the way that he just made us all look really bad. We were just got to the top, just absolutely exhausted, and we're just all talking. And he's just sitting there, and, and I know y'all find it hard to believe that I wouldn't hush, uh, but he's just sitting there, and he says, you know, he said, you know, boys, this is one of those times when you should just hush. He said, Close your mouths and open your eyes and consider the God who created all of this. That's a moment for us to worship. There's no special music. There's no special lights. And yet it's a place where we worship the God who could create all of that. Right now, we have a massive, as of this morning, 175 mile per hour hurricane churning in the Atlantic Ocean. We pray, of course, that the hurricane will turn, and we pray against the destruction of the hurricane. But even as we pray against it, we recognize that there is one who is more powerful even than the hurricane. The hurricane should drive us to worship and to praise. Do you understand that the power of a single hurricane is a power that every government in this world wishes that it could harness. The United States of America, the greatest country on God's green earth, can do nothing but watch a hurricane churn in its direction and pray against its arrival. But if it gets here, there's nothing we can do. Do you marvel at a God who could create, who could even hold in His hand the power of the hurricane? The God who could even speak from that whirlwind. I want to urge you to worship God in private. But to worship Him not only in your quiet times. Don't limit God's truths and God's glory to the 15 minutes you spend reading your Bible in the mornings. He's worthy of your worship all day long. Don't limit your worship of the Lord to only the 27 minutes a day that you listen to WMHK. He is worthy of your praise and your worship all day long. And all truth is God's truth. And all truth points to the glory of the one who created it, who sustained it, who speaks it into being. Do you know that you can even worship the Lord when you consider the incredible gifts of a musician that doesn't sing Christian music, but you go, Lord God, who could create such a voice? Who could create such a talent? Who could create such an incredible presence? Only the King of kings and the Lord of lords and He alone is worthy. Worthy of all glory and praise and honor. Worship him in private. Mary walked into the presence of Jesus knowing that she would be welcomed in that public place because she had worshiped him in the private, secret place. 
I have people regularly when I invite them to come to our church and they say things like this. I think the place would catch on fire if I walked in the doors. Had somebody say to me, Craig, if I walked into your church, you'd choke. You wouldn't know what to do. I said, man, you should see some of the people we got in our place. You got nothing. (laughs) I I, I didn't mean it personal. I mean, I I know y'all. I really know some of you. You know that oftentimes we're intimidated to walk into a place of public worship because we've not met with the Lord in private. I showed up at a place yesterday where I didn't know hardly anybody. I knew just a few people, but it was one of the guys that was there, and I know him from a lot of other places. It's so fun when you can walk into a place where you only know somebody. Like there's all these somebodies, but there's the one somebody that you know, and you're just kind of wandering around aimlessly, and then you lock eyes on that one, and you're like, aha, I'm not alone. I'm safe. There's my safe place. There's my safe harbor. You ever had that experience? Some of you went, some of you are in here today, you started new schools. Some of you started middle school or high school this year, and you walked into the school, and in that first few minutes, you were a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit unnerved, but then you, you saw that kid from, from last year, or you saw that kid from, from the summer, or you saw that person from your church, and you couldn't wait to get to that person because right there, there was safety and security. Folks, I want you to know that sometimes... Sometimes we feel uncomfortable in public worship because we've not met the one in private worship who gets all the glory and the praise in public worship. I urge you this morning, do you want to worship the Lord? Start in your private prayer closet. Begin as you look at the sunset around you or the beauty of creation. Watch those college football games and marvel at the God who could create such speed and power and grace. Worship Him in all the things that you encounter. Secondly, worship the Lord publicly. Now, in Mark's account, we see a woman who praises the Lord in public. Now, we're going to get to in just a minute the, 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 the cost and the extravagance and all those other things. But what did it look like? She walked into a place where she was welcomed by only one person. This is really exciting. So listen. She was welcomed by the only one that mattered. Do you understand? She was welcomed by the only one that mattered. Now, I don't believe that there's anybody here. There might be. There might be some of you here that say, you know what, I don't feel comfortable in a church. Can I tell you, you're welcomed by the only one that matters. Now, I hope and pray that Malvern Hill is not the kind of place that makes any of you feel uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, I celebrate that one of the things I hear regularly from people who visit our church is I felt so loved and welcome when I walked in the doors for the very first time. And I celebrate that. That is a testament to your work in welcoming faces that you don't recognize. But can I tell you that even if you don't feel welcomed by that ugly mug sitting beside you, the only one that really matters is thrilled to death that you're here today. Mary walked into the room and everybody glared at her except Jesus. Imagine Jesus' face. Can you imagine Jesus' face when Mary walked into the room? Everybody spit out their wine. Everybody spit out their food. There was, as somebody said to me just this past week, somebody in the room breathed so deep and sucked out all the air from the room. 
You know what Mary did? She looked around. Can you imagine Mary walking into the room holding this jar, probably about 12 ounces? She's holding this jar in her hands and she walks in. And what if she didn't see Jesus right away? What if this is a large room? All the disciples, what if there are 15, 20 people seated? What if Jesus is talking with his head turned to somebody behind him and she walks in? Maybe she's trembling just a little bit. And she walks into this place and all the eyes in that place glare at her. What if Judas is just close enough, the one who was terrified that somebody might stick their hand into the money box because he was convinced that it all belonged to him anyway? And the glaring glances that she received, the whispers, who is she? What is she doing here? Doesn't she know? Of course, understand, we assume whispers because we live in the South. They don't whisper in the North, right? They don't whisper in the Midwest. What is she doing here? (laughs) I've known a few people from the Middle East. They didn't whisper too much either. And we're reading our culture into that world. It was okay for them to degrade this woman publicly. So it might not have been whispers. What if it was more of a, huh, what does she think she's doing in here? What if that's what got Jesus' attention? What if Jesus has his head turned talking and somebody says, what is she doing? And Jesus turns around. You imagine Jesus' look. Mary's looking all around and then she sees him. Can you imagine the whole world staring at you and you lock eyes with Jesus? The Bible says that she walked in. She went straight to the Lord Jesus Christ. And she wasn't too worried about what everybody else had to say in that moment. She was not ashamed of her Lord. And she worshipped Him where other people could see. Turn with me to Psalm 150. Psalm 150. the last page of the Psalms, the very last of all of the Psalms. And I want to read to you this picture of public worship. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What does public worship look like according to Psalm 150? It looks like praise in a particular place on a regular basis. He said, praise Him in the sanctuary. We come together in this place and we praise the Lord on a regular basis. We praise Him for His deeds because He alone is able to accomplish those things. We praise Him for His person because we love Him regardless of what He's done. We praise Him with all kinds of instruments. Now look, it doesn't even have an organ in there. Nobody even laughed. It's funny. Okay? 
We praise him with, with harp and lyre and cymbals and all these loud crashing things. There are percussion instruments and stringed instruments and there, there's, there's wind instruments. All these things. We praise him with, with a voice. We praise him with, you ready for this, Baptist? We praise him with dance. Dance before the Lord. The Bible says that David danced before the Lord. There's this collective praise as they all come together and they sing and they shout and they praise and they play their instruments. I want to suggest to you that there was probably a, a time during this moment of collective praise when it looked a little bit more like chaos than it did like order. As the cymbals clashed and the people sang and they danced and they celebrated. You say, but shouldn't worship be orderly? Well, the Bible says so in 1 Corinthians, but part of even an orderly worship should carry with it an idea of celebration that might lose just a little bit of order for just about 15 seconds. Worship the Lord publicly, and folks, worship Him without shame. Mary worshiped the Lord where others could see. Mary even worshiped the Lord in a place where others would mock her, where they would question her, where they would challenge her. And yet Mary said, I will worship him anyway. For the Lord is worthy of praise. So worship the Lord privately. Worship the Lord publicly. And then finally this morning, worship the Lord recklessly. Now, to be reckless is to either not think about the consequences of your actions or simply to not care. Now, I believe it would be a little bit, extre- a little bit crazy to suggest the Bible says that this flask of ointment, of, of, of perfume essentially, that she carried was worth about a year's wages. All right? About a year's wages for, for a, a day worker. So if you could imagine, this is something in our day and time is worth Twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. This is probably, or at least potentially, a family heirloom. Maybe something that's been passed down from one generation to the next. It would be ludicrous for us to assume that Mary didn't think about what she was doing. She had to go and to retrieve this from the safe place wherever it was kept. She had to carry it into the room. And the Bible says that she actually broke it. She took the time to break the flask so that it could not be reused. She wanted to make sure that it was all given to Jesus. It's not that she hadn't thought about what it meant. She just really didn't care about the consequences on the back end because the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ mattered more. Folks, are you willing to worship the Lord recklessly, lavishly? I don't know if you remember the time, for those of you that that maybe are married, and even if you're not, for those of you that have ever been in just puppy dog love. You remember the time when you first met your spouse, or you met that, that one special somebody? Can you remember just walking through a store and seeing something you thought they would like and just spending a ridiculous amount of money on a gift without thinking about it? Some of you are like, no, I don't remember that because I am cheap. But the rest of you are like, yes, I've done something really dumb like that, you know? You remember going and and, and eating at this ridiculously expensive restaurant. You don't even think about it. You just, come on, honey. Yeah, get, get whatever you want. Any of you ever go on one of those first dates and you go, get whatever you want. And you go, oh, 
I didn't mean that, you know. <laughs> I don't, uh, you order off the kids' menu. Folks, what's it look like for us to have that kind of a reckless devotion to the Lord? Not one where we don't think about what we're doing, but one where we just go, you know what? I'm okay with the consequences on the back end. People are going to look at me funny. People are going to question. Now listen, we live in a world where it is okay to be recklessly committed to all sorts of things except to Jesus. We live in a world where it is okay to be recklessly committed to all sorts of things except Jesus. In May of 1990, Christopher McCandless graduated from Emory University and shortly thereafter left behind everything and everyone he had ever known to experience life in the wilderness. He didn't tell his family where he was going. He refused to keep in touch with them. And after a weird, odd, interesting journey across the United States and even down into Mexico, McCandless arrived in a remote area of Alaska. In April 1992, he walked into the Alaskan wilderness with very little preparation. He had a couple of books, a few supplies, and a 22 caliber rifle. I don't know a lot about Alaska, but I know that I'm not going there with a 22 caliber rifle. Now, interestingly, many have romanticized McCandless as a sort of free-spirited, Thoreau-like figure. Books have been written and even a movie was made. But it's odd that books would be written and a movie would be made and people would celebrate this guy who basically left his family, left his life, left everything, walked into the Alaskan wilderness, found an abandoned bus, and lived there for four months before he starved to death because he was not prepared for the journey that he had taken. And yet our world celebrates that form of individualism. But you let... A young man give everything away and commit his life to Jesus and he will be judged over and over and over again. Now what about McCandless? One, army, or one park ranger said this. He said he wasn't even particularly daring. He was just stupid and tragic and inconsiderate. Inconsiderate of all the other people that he put in peril. Yet popular culture continues to idealize him as they do many who engage in very selfish ambitions. But what about those who sell out to Jesus? See, it would seem as though McCandless was reckless, and yet in his recklessness he achieved some sort of fame and lasting legacy. Folks, I want you to know that when you sell out to Christ, you shouldn't expect that the world is going to build a statue in your honor. When you sell out to Jesus, don't expect to find an abandoned bus in the wilderness of Alaska with a plaque that says, here lies Craig Thompson who gave everything for Jesus. And yet what does Jesus say? Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. You see, because we worship the Lord, because we are investing in a treasure that is not of this world, We are investing in a life that finds its satisfaction in the world that is to come. And the world around us might not celebrate the lavish worship of God's people. But the world of the first century didn't celebrate the lavish worship of Jesus either. We sometimes live with a degree of chronological snobbery. 
It's a good word, isn't it? It's a really good one. And, th- and this idea of chronological snobbery, usually what that says is we assume that we've got it all figured out because we live in a more advanced time. and People who lived before us were just, just ignorant and they just didn't know. But we've got it all figured out. Well, even when we don't live in this age of we got it all figured out, sometimes as Christians we live in this age of we got it worse than everybody else. Right? Chicken little, the sky's falling, right? All of a sudden, the whole world is against us as Christians, and there's never been a time like this before. Folks, even at the founding of the United States of America, even in that time, there was in many corners an opposition to the Christian religion. Even Thomas Jefferson himself opposed those who wanted to give glory to the Lord, and he wanted to elevate human reason as the only thing that should be clung to. Thomas Jefferson celebrated the atheistic revolutions in France just after the American Revolution. Because in Jefferson's mind, what was happening there is what exactly should happen here. We couldn't give glory to the God of the universe because there was no such thing in his mind. Folks, understand that the opposition to the things of Christ are not brand new. If you are mocked because you worship Jesus, if you were looked down upon because you worship Jesus lavishly and recklessly, folks, you're not the first victim of such things. Mary walked into a room where men mocked her, where they questioned her, where they challenged her, and yet in that place there was only one voice, one voice who accepted Mary's action. And if you have a red-letter Bible, that voice is written in red. Leave her alone. Something happens to Christians. You see, when we get saved, when we get saved, we tend to have something of this recklessness in our faith. But something happens, and it's kind of the same thing that happens to a man when he gets married. Right? A man gets married, and he stops trying. Y'all seen that before? If you're doing that in your marriage right now, sign up for our equipping study. We'll help you get through that. Just a little commercial. A man gets married, and he, and he stops. This is one of the things that goes wrong in a marriage. Husband and wife stop dating. They stop communicating. They stop caring. He'll say something ridiculous like, I told you I loved you when we got married, and if it changes, I'll let you know. And yet sometimes our attitude toward the Lord doesn't look that much different. I have baptized people right here. And I've held them as they wept with joy over God's salvation in their life. And then I have watched the joy of their salvation fade. And then sadly, I've seen them walk away. I've seen them grow cold in worship. I've seen their testimony grow quiet. I've seen teenagers go off to youth camp and get so excited about what God was doing until they had to go to school. And encounter somebody who didn't believe the way that they believed. And I've seen their testimony turn inward. I've seen them grow quiet. Oh, we've seen young people walk away from their faith. 
Not because they've tested it and found it wanting, but because they wanted the praise of their peers. Imagine if Mary was worried about what everybody had said, but instead Mary walked in. Mary considered the cost. She just didn't really care. The Bible says that she broke that flask and she poured it upon the Lord Jesus. Now watch this. That was a costly, expensive, fragrant ointment. Do you know that Mary's worship of Jesus affected everybody in that room? Mary's worship of Jesus changed everybody in that room. Now some people smelled that ointment and they grew in their indignation. Oh, don't believe the lies that you hear. When you give your life to Jesus, the whole world won't raise up and call you blessed. Some people will smell the worship and the fragrant aroma of Christ will nauseate and anger them. Oh, but others will be brought to tears. There will be some that will smell that fragrant worship. And in that moment, do you know something about your olfactory senses? They're so closely tied to your memory. You know, there will be somebody that will see you worship Jesus. They will smell that fragrant offering coming up before the Lord. And it will trigger in them a memory of a time, a day, when they love Jesus like that. Perhaps it will drive them to their knees in conviction saying, Oh Lord God, bring me back. There are others who won't understand and they'll ask questions. But when it's all said and done... The King of kings and the Lord of lords is the only audience that matters. Will you stop worrying about what it costs to give it all to Jesus and get busy bowing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Pastor, you don't understand. Maybe I do. Maybe like Mary, I just don't care. Because what it costs you to not give him everything is far greater than the loss of worldly prestige. So this morning, how do you worship the Lord? There were a lot of people in the presence of Jesus in that room. There were a lot of people who heard Jesus speak. There were even a lot of people who saw Mary worship. And many of those people walked out of that room unchanged. How do you worship? Do you worship in private? Do you create excuses? Not do you find time. Do you make excuses to give God glory and honor and praise? Do you regularly worship in public? Now, obviously, I mean, do you show up? That's the first part. The second thing is, do you actually do it? I mean, I, I've never done this, but I wonder if I, if I were to ask Kevin, so Kevin, what people sing and what people don't? How many of you just stand there and you just kind of smile pretty? What might change if you opened up your mouth? What if you worship Jesus the same way you worship that football team? Yeah, it's kind of ugly, wasn't it? What if you opened your mouth and you sang praises? What if, like King David, 
You were willing to dance before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, not worried about what it is that others might say. David danced before the ark. And we'll finish right here. David danced before the ark. Do you, you know this story? David danced. The ark of the covenant is being brought into Jerusalem. And the Bible says that David danced, basically in his underwear. It wasn't quite that. He's in a linen ephod. But understand that what he's wearing is a very thin garment. This is something that is in the eyes of his wife below the dignity of the king. The king is to stand back and to watch other people worship the Lord. And David says, I will do even more undignified things than this. To bring glory and praise and honor to the one who is worthy. David had his own sins. But David understood that though he be the king, there was one king of greater reverence and honor. And David wanted to make sure that the people saw that the true king of Israel received praise and glory and honor. And he was not worried about how he might be judged. Would you stand and sing praise to the Lord this morning? Would you, would you just, I wonder what might happen if you just, that hand just kind of raised up. What, what would happen? What would happen? What would happen if you sang so loud that your neighbor could hear? Do you know that they won't judge you? Do you know what they do? They smile. You're among friends here. What happens if both hands were to go up? You, you'd almost get Pentecostal. What happened if you smiled in worship? You could even tap your toe. You could clap your hands. The inestimable value of worship. You will worship something. You do worship something. Do you worship the only something that is worthy of worship? The only someone, the only king. Do you worship him in private? Do you worship him in public? Are you willing to worship him in a way that might even bring judgment from others because he's worthy? I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. I'm not going to tell you how to respond. I'm going to trust in the Holy Spirit to lead in God. Because He can. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would work here this morning. Father, and in, in, in the absence of an invitation extended specifically from me, I'm going to pray this morning something unique, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would be at work. God, you know. You know the decisions that need to be made. You know the way this message needs to be applied. I pray you'd be at work here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.